0: Hey everybody, before I start this week's episode, I wanted to talk to you guys about gun control. Personally, I'm tired of hearing about active shooters. I miss the good old days when we used to hear about petty stuff like robberies or car chases on the interstate or other less life-threatening issues that didn't involve guns. We need more common sense gun control laws and we need to ban certain weapons from being purchased by civilians but then the second you say that the people who are afraid of this to happen they run out and they go to the gun stores and they buy bulk guns because they're afraid of their guns being taken away from them they're afraid of their second amendment right being infringed upon and They love the idea that the NRA is willing to fight tooth and nail for them, but the NRA, depending on how you look at it, it's a business. They want you to buy guns. They don't want you to not buy guns, and they don't want you to not buy guns because, oh, the Second Amendment right. No, it's about their profit margin. Fundamentally, that's what it is. And I've heard people say over and over again, That when there's a bombing, we blame the bomber. And when there's a drunk driving accident, we blame the driver. So why is it that we're blaming guns when there's a shooting? Well, I'll tell you why. There's an old saying that goes, guns don't kill people, people kill people. And that's absolutely true. If you put a gun down on a table, it won't kill anybody. But the second a person picks it up, then it becomes something else. It could kill somebody. And that's the thing about guns. Guns kill people quickly. That's the main takeaway. Because there's a lot of ways to kill people. You could use a knife. You could use poison. But they're not as fast as a gun. When you hear about an active shooter, you've never heard of an active stabber. Nobody's running around a schoolyard with a knife chasing people down and stabbing them. No, they're shooting them. And matter of fact, speaking of schools, on April 20th, that'll mark 19 years since the Columbine shooting. And since then, the amount of active shooting situations have skyrocketed. And subsequently, nothing has been done. When the Founding Fathers wrote the Constitution, they never imagined... ...that our generation would have the highly sophisticated weaponry that we have today. Matter of fact, it wouldn't be until another 92 years after the Constitution was written, light bulbs were invented. So, they wouldn't be able to imagine that, you know what, in the future, guns will be able to fire 100 rounds within 3 seconds... Way better than my musket that takes one minute to reload one shot. Maybe they would have rethought it if they could peer into the future, but we never know. It's here. We have it. We just got to deal with it and figure out a way to make the Second Amendment work for us so that it doesn't kill all of us. And don't get me wrong. I love guns. And I'll admit to that. One day I want to own a gun, but I don't think that I should be able to walk into a gun store, depending on the state, and buy a gun the same day with or without a background check. To me, that doesn't make sense. And if you are a gun owner, cool. If you are safe with your guns, awesome. If you are a stable human being, even better. But I'm sure that you could think of someone, or you've probably seen someone, that you know, in your heart of hearts, should not have access to a gun. And that's what I'm talking about. This is an issue that we have. People are getting murdered. And the only thing that happens, the only thing that's guaranteed, is the gun control merry-go-round. That happens every single shooting season. And that is a mass shooting happens. We all give out our thoughts and prayers. Then we have a big social media debate. Then we call out our government and the NRA. And then nothing happens. And then everyone forgets. And then everything is calm. Then repeat steps one through seven. This thing needs to stop. And it's only going to stop if the nation unilaterally decides that, you know what? My life is more important than being able to purchase a gun. My children's life, my grandchildren's life, my parents' life, my cousin's life, my aunt's life, my neighbor's life. Is more important than having a gun. Until that happens, you or somebody you know could be next. Yo, yo, yo! What's going on everybody? Hi, I'm Uncle Doug. And welcome to the Oxenities Podcast. Yeah! Today we're going to be talking about black excellence, excellence in blackness. And we're going to be continuing the theme of Black History Month. Black excellence. Why are we so awesome? Why do we exude so much amazingness? And how can we catch that in a bottle? <laughs> Not possible, but I'm gonna explain why. And I'm also gonna be highlighting a few interesting and key figures that exude black awesomeness and why we should look up to them. For their excellence. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> there will be no news this week or a guest. But next week, we're we're gonna we're gonna do something kinda special to end it all out. Now there is something else that I wanted to talk to you guys about, and it has to pertain with what happened on Wednesday in Florida. There was a shooting that involved a 19-year-old young man by the name of Nicholas Cruz. He went into the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School and opened fire on... His peers subsequently killing 17 people. Now, this this is an absolute tragedy, and this kind of stuff needs to end. And it actually I was actually feeling sad earlier about it. You know, as I'm sure everybody in the nation does share this feeling with me, but I heard a very interesting and poignant speech by Emma Gonzalez, a senior of the high school. And it filled me with hope to know that the kids that are coming up see the issue, see the problem, and they're actively willing to do something about it to fix it. So after the episode, I will play that clip for you, and hopefully it'll touch you as much as it had touched me. Yeah. So I'm going to take a quick break, and then we'll come back with the excellence. All right. This is CNN Breaking News. Black excellence is at an all-time
1: high. With me to talk about it is Bacali Sanders, April Ryan, Ramon Sanders, and Angela Watt. Angela, all-time high. Of course it's at an all-time high. Black folks consistently
0: go high. Give me some examples. Dawn, we don't have enough time. Serena Williams won the Australian Open. Wow, she was eight weeks pregnant. And don't forget, black women saved Alabama. 98%. And
1: Uber shut off the boat.
0: We got Issa, Ava, Lena, Oprah, and so many more.
1: We got some black man magic too. Dapper Dan, a trailblazer in fashion officially partnered with Gucci and opened up a Gucci store in Harlem. Rich Dennis, the brothers sold Shea Moisture, then made sure they established a fund to support black women, then bought Essence Magazine, making it 100% black owned again. We made history in elections in Alabama, Virginia, and North Carolina. And later got a man named Keisha. Hey, Hey, Keisha. Oh, Angela. Don't forget, we have the Black Panther movie coming out on February 16th, and it's already breaking records with pre-sales. And we have Ava's A Wrinkle in Time coming out on March 9th. Wait, 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 Did we forget to talk about how Hidden Figures, Girls Trip, and Get Out Shattered Records? Listen, black folks have always been dope and always will be dope. Ain't nothing fake about that news. They have it. Black athletes have an all-time high. Happy black issue, Ralph.
0: (laughs) <laughs> hey guys, welcome back. That was a uh, clip from this YouTube video that I found a little while back. It's about these five kids that are having a panel discussion about black excellence and why it's so awesome. So I wanted to add that to the episode and share that with you. I'll put a link in the description so you guys can go check it out for yourself. They're they're all so adorable. <laughs> Now, let's jump right in with black excellence. So, it's it's one of those things that can't really be defined. It can't be bottled up. It can't be explained properly. The reason being is black excellence is a state of mind. It is what makes us as black people so amazing. It's... It's the cornerstone of our confidence. It's the ideal that we can be more than we are. More than we are perceived. It's why we're so awesome. Now, although I couldn't find a definition, I went on Urban Dictionary and find Well, I found something that kind of explains it. Basically, they define... Black excellence as something that is black and portrays great qualities and abilities that make the black community proud. And that right there, that that's all that says it. That says everything. You think of a a young man that grew up with a family of workers. They've always worked, They've always done, what they need to do to make it by till the next week, till the next paycheck. You know, one could be a mechanic, uh, somebody could be a housekeeper. Regardless of the situation, they make do. Those two come together and they have a child, and they instill the ideal in that child that you can be better than I can. You can be better than I was. Because my mother used to be this. So I developed myself into a person that now my mom used to be a housekeeper. And now I own a company that caters to the housekeeping needs. So you can be better than that. You know what I mean? So they push him or her. Forward in life as much as possible. Study, work hard, do your notes. Mom, dad, I need this book. Okay, let's get you that book. Study, work hard, do this. Take the test, take the exam. And then one day, step out first person in the family to get a master's degree. Or you hear the first person in the family to become a doctor. The first person to become a lawyer The first person to own Their own business The first person to be able to Own their own house With everything That is Intrinsically against The black community When you hear a good Story A story of perseverance A story of Raw Ambition That that is black excellence. Fundamentally, that's what it is. Now, with that being said, there are five people that I want to talk about when it comes to the idea of black excellence. Five people that dare to be more than they could, more than they were allowed to be. Those five people are Claudette Colvin... A lot of you might not know who she is, but I'll give you a full breakdown of her story. Harriet Tubman, obviously the first spy, or the first black spy. Jackie Robinson, Mr. 42 himself. James Baldwin, civil rights champion. And Marcus Garvey, who, even though quite controversial is absolutely my favorite Jamaican hero and one of my favorite icons in the black community. I want to share that with you. So, Claudette Colvin, let's start off with her. So many things about her that a lot of people don't know and a lot of people don't understand. Well, okay, I'll put it to you like this. If you've ever heard of Rosa Parks, then... You've definitely heard of Claudette Colvin, because Claudette Colvin was the original Rosa Parks. Yeah, deep stuff, right? Claudette Colvin was born September 5th, 1939, and is a pioneer in the Civil Rights Movement. On March 2nd, 1955, she was arrested for refusing to give up her seat on a bus in segregated Montgomery, Alabama. Nine months prior to Rosa Parks' famous arrest for the same offense. See, at the time, Claudette was a teenager when she got arrested. And the NCAA at the time needed a face to portray what was going on to like really fuel the montgomery bus boycott but they couldn't use claudette because she was a teenager so they got rosa parks involved rosa parks at the time was a secretary to the uh leader of the ncwa at the time and she was instructed to go on a bus sit on the bus and not move just take the bus just like normal she wasn't told to like make a scene or anything. She was just told, you know what? Be a person on the bus. She sat on the bus, and as luck would have it, somebody came by. Uh, I need this seat. Rosa Parks was like, nah, bitch. Uh-uh. And, uh uh. And she was taken off the bus, which started the Montgomery bus boycotts. See, they needed a face. But Claude Dead Colvin was the face originally. Claudette was among the four plaintiffs originally included in the federal court case filed by civil rights attorney Fred Gray on February 1st, 1956 as Broder v. Gale. And she testified before the three-judge panel that heard the case in the United States District Court. On June 13, 1956, the judges determined that the state and local laws requiring bus segregation in Alabama was unconstitutional. The case went to the United States Supreme Court, which upheld their ruling on December 17, 1956. Colvin was the last witness to testify. Three days later, the Supreme Court issued an order to Montgomery and the state of Alabama to end bus segregation and the Montgomery bus boycott was called off. For many years, Montgomery black leaders did not publicize Colvin's pioneering efforts because she was a teenager who was reportedly impregnated by a man that was married. But at the time, she actually did not become pregnant Until later on, Colvin said, young people think Rosa Parks just sat down on a bus and ended segregation. But that wasn't the case at all. See, a lot of times when you see certain things, you got to look past it. You got to look away from the face value of things and really dive deep. This was a teenage black girl that sat on the bus when nobody asked her to, and said, no, I won't move. I paid the same amount as everybody else, so why do I gotta go all the way to the back? That right there? Black excellence. Plain and simple. That's it. A hundred percent. When I discovered this story, I felt like this definitely needs to be shared. Everybody needs to know this, because it's it's so pure and innocent and amazing at the same time Claudette you out there you're doing your thing girl you're up there mod <laughs> oh boy this is gonna be a fun episode I like this already I'm already happy <laughs> oh let's see who's next ah Harriet Tudman mm, mm, mm. good old Harriet Tudman Born Araminta Ross, she was a American abolitionist, humanitarian, a armed scout, and a spy for the United States Army during the American Civil War. Hold up. All right. Let's talk this out. Harriet Tubman, a black woman, living in the North, because in the South, you know, slavery, all of that, She was a abolitionist she freed slaves she was a humanitarian she devoted her life to helping people she was a armed scout (laughs) and she was a spy and y'all want to tell me that black girl magic ain't a thing come on Born into slavery, Tudman escaped and subsequently made some 13 missions to rescue approximately 70 enslaved people, family, and friends using the network of anti-slavery activists and safe houses known as the Underground Railroad. She later helped abolitionist John Brown recruit men for his raid on Harper's Ferry, and in the post-war era, was an active participant in the struggle for women's suffrage, <clears throat> so a little backstory, just to let you guys know, black men were given the ability to vote before women were, so... Back then, not only did she have to deal with the fact that she was black and the fact that she was a woman, but she was still fighting for women's rights, not just black women's rights, white, Asian, everybody. Harriet Tubman was about that life, right? Ah, Harriet, Harriet, that's a strong name too. I may name my daughter Harriet. Born as a slave in Dorchester County, Maryland, Tudman was beaten and whipped by her various masters as a child. Early in life, she suffered a traumatic head wound when an irate slave owner threw a heavy metal weight intended to hit another slave and hit her instead. The injury caused dizziness, pain, and spells of hypersomnia which occurred throughout her life. She was a devout Christian and experienced strange visions and vivid dreams, which she ascribed to premonitions from God. I have also been hit in the head multiple times. So maybe I got some of that, some of that awesomeness that she has, you know what I mean? Passed down, that kind of thing. I don't know, I'm just saying. In 1849, Tudman escaped captivity to Philadelphia, then immediately returned to Maryland to rescue her family. I'm going to put another stop in it. Let me just let y'all understand this for a minute. Tudman escaped captivity. Stop. Then she went back to rescue her family. That is pretty wild. I don't know if I, being a slave, and I can't think on that level, but I don't know, being a slave, if I would like, oh, get out. With everything that slaves had to go through when it comes to escaping captivity. I don't know if I would go through that escape and then voluntarily go back to save my family. I love y'all to death, but uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> So she slowly rescued them, one group at a time, and brought relatives out of the state and eventually started guiding dozens of other slaves to freedom, traveling by night, and in extreme secrecy, she was known as Moses, that's what they used to call her, never lost a passenger. She never lost a person, ever. That's mind-boggling. I lose my way walking in the dark in my own apartment to get to the bathroom. She never lost a slave. Being chased by slave owners. Being chased by uh, the police at the time. Trying to find slaves. Being chased by dogs. She never lost a passenger. Mm. After the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850 was passed she helped guide fugitives further north into british north america and helped newly freed slaves to find work humanitarian right there easy when the civil war began tudman worked for the union army first as a cook and a nurse you know just start out humble let me let me not let me not be too braggadocious with y'all and then (laughs) she became an armed scout and a spy that right there is what we in the black community call a finesse Tudman was the first one right there (laughs) the first woman to lead an armed expedition in the war she guided the raid At Common Bee Ferry, which liberated more than 700 slaves. After the war, she retired to the family home on property she had purchased in 1859 in Auburn, New York, where she cared for her aging parents until their time. Mm. She was active in women's suffrage. She was active in the movement until illness overtook her and she had to be admitted to a home for the elderly African-Americans that she had helped to establish years earlier. After she died in 1913, she became an American icon for courage and freedom. And honestly, I can't see a reason why she wasn't like instantly honorary president all of a sudden. Just just the sheer the the how many lifetimes would it take for you to achieve the same amount of notoriety and amount of black excellence that Tudman had? In your own lifetime We share the blood of these people As black people We share their convictions Their confidence Their downright can-do attitude These are the people we gotta look up to, y'all Definitely mm-hmm. My lord, got my back so we gonna make it my lord got my back so we gonna make it my lord got my back so we gonna make it we gonna make it out of slavery uh, that must have been one of the songs that they sang like throughout the whole thing that's what i'd be doing i'd be like what what yes. <laughs> They'd probably catch me. I'm loud. Well, well, well. Here we go. Next person. Actually, now that I really think about it, I, I may run out of time <laughs> to talk about all of these people. So what should I do? What should I do? Okay, we'll do this. I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to James Baldwin and Marcus Garvey, unfortunately. So what I'll do is on the next episode I'll talk about them real quick. Actually not real quick because they're kind of a big deal. So, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do that. But first, let me let me get into Jackie Robinson cuz it's he's a big deal. Even though I don't like baseball, but he is a big deal. Yeah, well, I'm be I'm be completely honest though. I'm a grown ass man. You ain't going to call me no Jackie. All right. Nah, B, we ain't doing that. You gonna put some respect on my name. Jack Roosevelt Robinson, born January 31st, 1919, was an American professional second baseman who became the first African-American to play in Major League Baseball in the modern era. Robinson broke the baseball color line When the Brooklyn Dodgers, boo, boo, Brooklyn, boo. Y'all are now the Los Angeles Dodgers, boo, boo, boo. I don't know what, what this means. I heard other people doing it, so I'm just doing it too. Yeah. The Brooklyn Dodgers started him at first base on April 15th, 1947. Yes, 1947. When the Dodgers signed Robinson, they heralded the end of racial segregation in professional baseball that had relegated black players to the Negro League since the 1880s. Robinson was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962. Oh, you thought he was inducted because he was, you know, just just a black man? No. Uh uh-uh. uh. No, no, Boo Boo. He was a six-time All-Star between 1949 and 1954. He helped the Brooklyn Dodgers get to become World Series champions in 1955. He was a Negro League MVP in 1949. MLB Rookie of the Year 1947. Negro League batting champion, 1949. I know I'm bouncing back and forth, but just bear with me. Two-time Negro League stolen base leader, once in 1947 and next in 1949. Mm, Come on, Jackie. Jackie. Big Jack. Yeah. I feel dirty saying that. Let me move on. Robinson had an exceptional 10-year MLB career. He was a recipient of the inaugural MLB Rookie of the Year Award in 1947. I just told y'all that. Was an all-star for six consecutive seasons from 1949 through 1954. And won the National... <clears throat> excuse me. National League Most Valuable Player Award in 1949. The first black player. So honored. Mm. Robinson played in six World Series and contributed to the Dodgers' 1955 World Series Championship. In 1997, MLB universally retired. His uniform number 42 across all major league teams. So, you know how they retire like jerseys in like basketball and football and all of that? They retired the number 42 for every league team, every team. He was the first pro athlete in any sport to be so honored. Come on. Come on. MLB also adopted a new annual tradition, Jackie Robinson Day. For the first time on April 15th, 2004, on which every player on every team wears number 42. Yeah, y'all ain't gonna get rid of my mans that quick. That's right. Forever. Yes. Robinson's character, his use of nonviolence, and his unquestionable talent challenged the traditional basis of segregation, which then marked many other aspects of American life. He influenced the culture of and contributed significantly to the civil rights movement. Robinson also was the first black television analyst in MLB and the first black vice president of a major American corporation, Chock Full of Nuts. (laughs) Weird name, but hey, it's it was a pretty big company in 19 or rather in the 1960s, he helped establish the Freedom National Bank, an African-American-owned financial institute based in Harlem, New York. After his death in 1972, in recognition for his achievements on and off the field, Robinson was posthumously awarded the Congressional Gold Medal and Presidential Medal of Freedom. Who you know? Who you know? This great sports person who, you know, probably like juggle off a few great sportsmen off the top of your head. Uh, Gretzky, uh, Jordan, mm, Marino, sure, truly tremendous athletic prowess. But, who do you know that has this repertoire and this level of j- j- just, I don't even know, I don't even know how to say it. I don't even know what word to use. The man was amazing. The man was amazing on the field and off the field. And this is Another example of black excellence. Another example of just how much resilient, how resilient our nature is as black people and what we can do more for our society. Damn. Some good stuff. There's Some good stuff, y'all. I gotta be honest, this episode... I'm really feeling this episode. This one got me like goose bumpy, you know, that sounded weird, but you know what I mean? Yeah, real good. Uh. Jackie Robinson, Harriet Tudman, Claudette Colvin. Good stuff. James Baldwin and Marcus Garvey next week. Promise. Promise. Cause we got to talk about them. Matter of fact, look them up. Look them up. You'll, you'll see why they're amazing yeah and that's it you guys thank you so much for tuning in to episode six black excellence yeah throw another one in there what had so much fun making this episode amazing i i love us i love black people we're so awesome and i hope you guys got a taste or a window into that too and Just, you know, appreciate your history. Appreciate your black history. Not just in a month, but every day. Appreciate it. If you'd like to follow the show, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter under the name Oxenities. And if you'd like to follow me, you may find me on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Uncle Doug. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Please love yourselves. Love your neighbors. Love your friends. Love your family. Love everybody. And take care of yourself. Honestly. It's a weird world out there. There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So protect yourself. Just be safe. And please stay tuned to the little clip that I have from Emma Gonzalez, the senior from the Florida high school that was shot up. Have a good week, you guys, and take care of yourselves. Bye.
1: Thank you. Every single person up here today, all these people should be at home grieving. But instead we are up here, standing together because if all our government and president can do is send thoughts and prayers, then it's time for victims to be the change that we need to see. Second Amendment to the Constitution, our guns have developed at a rate that leaves me dizzy. The guns have changed, and the laws have not. We certainly do not understand why it should be harder to make plans with friends on weekends than it is to buy an automatic or semi-automatic weapon. In Florida, in Florida, To buy a gun, you do not need a permit, you do not need a gun license, and once you buy it, you do not need to register it. You do not need a permit to carry a concealed rifle or shotgun. You can buy as many guns as you want at one time. I read something very powerful to me today. It was from the point of view of a teacher, and I quote, when adults tell me I have the right to own a gun, all I can hear is my right to own a gun outweighs your students' right to live. All I can hear is mine, 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 mine. About our AP Gov Chapter 16 test, we have to be studying our notes to make sure that our arguments based on politics and political is- history are watertight. The students of this school have been having debates on guns for what feels like our entire lives. AP Gov had about three debates this year. Some discussions on the subject even occurred during the shooting while students were hiding in the closets. The people involved right now, those who were there, those posting, those tweeting, those doing interviews and talking to people, are being listened to for what feels like the very first time about this topic that has come up over 1,000 times in the past four years, alone. I found out today that there's a website called shootingtracker.com. Nothing in the title suggests that it is exclusively tracking, tracking the USA's shootings, and yet, does it need to address that? because Australia had one mass shooting in 1999 in the Port Arthur Massacre, introduced gun safety, and they haven't had one since. Japan. Japan has never had a mass shooting. Canada has had three, and the UK had one, and they both introduce gun control, and yet here we are with websites dedicated to reporting these tragedies so that they can be formulated into statistics at your convenience. I watched an interview this morning and noticed that one of the questions was, do you think your children will have to go through other shoot- school shooter drills? And our response is that our neighbors will not have to go through other school shooter drills when we have had our say with the government. And maybe the adults have gotten used to saying, it is what it is. But if- Us students have learned anything, it's that if you don't study, you will fail. And in this case, if you actively do nothing, people continually end up dead. So it's time to start doing something. We we are going to be the kids that you read about in textbooks. Not because we are going to be another statistic about mass shootings in America, but because, just as David said, we are going to be the last mass shooting. Just like just like Tinker v. Des Moines, we are going to change the law. That's going to be Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in that textbook and it's all going to be due to the tireless effort of the school board, the faculty members, the family members, and most importantly, the students. The students students who are dead, the students still in the hospital, the students who are now suffering from PTSD, the students who had panic attacks during the vigil because the who wouldn't leave us alone, hovering over the school 24 hours a day. There has been one tweet that I would like to call attention to. So many signs that the Florida shooter was mentally disturbed, even expelled for bad and erratic behavior. Neighbors and classmates knew he was a big problem, must always report such instances to authorities again and again. We did. Time and time again. Since he was in middle school. It was no surprise to anyone who knew him to hear that he was the shooter. Those talking about how we should have not ostracized him, you didn't know this kid. Okay, we did. We know that they're claiming that there are mental health issues and I am not a psychologist, but we need to pay attention to the fact that this isn't just a mental health issue. He wouldn't have harmed that many students with a knife! How about we stop blaming the victims for something that was the shooter's fault? fault? The fault of the people who let him buy the guns in the first place Those at the gun shows, the people who encouraged him to buy accessories for his guns to make them fully automatic, the people who didn't take them away from him when they knew that he expressed homicidal tendencies, and I am not talking about the FBI, I am talking about the people that he lived with. wants to come up to me and tell me to my face that it was a terrible tragedy and how it should never have happened and man- maintain telling us how nothing is going to be done about it, I'm going to happily ask him how much money he received from the National Rifle Association. repealed an Obama-era regulation that would have made it easier to block the sale of firearms to people with certain mental illnesses. From the interactions that I had had with the shooter before the shooting and the information that I currently know about him, I don't really know if he was mentally ill, but I still I, I wrote this before I heard what Delaney said. Delaney said that he was diagnosed. I don't need a psychologist, and I don't need to be a psychologist to know that repealing that regulation was a really dumb idea. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa was the sole sponsor on this bill that stops the FBI from performing background checks on people adjudicated to be mentally ill and now he's stating for the record, well, it's a shame that the FBI isn't doing background checks on these mentally ill people. Well, duh, you took that opportunity away last year. <laughs> the people in the government who were voted into power are lying to us. And us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and are prepared to call BS. Companies make caricatures of the teenagers nowadays saying that all we are is self-involved and trend-obsessed and they hush us into submissions when our message doesn't reach the ears of the nation. We are prepared to call BS. Politicians! Politicians who sit in their gilded House and Senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have ever been done to prevent this, we call BS! that tougher gun laws do not decrease gun violence we call bs they say a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun we call bs BS. they say guns are just tools like knives and are as dangerous as cars we call bs no they say that no laws could have been able to prevent the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred We call BS. BS. That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we're too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. BS. If you agree, register to vote. Contact your local congresspeople. Give them a piece of your mind.